Hello and welcome. You're listening to the You Do Woo podcast, and I'm your host, Allison Cullen. I'm a mom with a background in business and counseling, but I've always been tapped into the more woo-woo side of everyday life. I'm here to take you on an exploration of your spirituality, give you helpful life hacks, help you on this evolution through motherhood, and give you a weekly dose of useful woo. If you need your cup filled, your mind expanded, and you want to increase your manifestation abilities at the same time, you've come to the right place. Let's get started. Hello, hello, everyone. We are nearing the end of January. I can't believe we've already had almost a month of 2022 so far. If you hear any weird noises, I'm wearing a puffer jacket right now and it's moving around. I'm at the office and it's pretty cold in here. It's getting under 30 degrees here in Texas, which we're not used to. Hoping for a different February than last year with our snowmageddon that happened. We do not do well in really cold temperatures. Texans do not know how to drive in ice and snow and all of our electric power gets all screwed up. I'm hoping that they fixed all of that. Anyways, enough about all of that. As you can tell, I still have PTSD from that from last year. I wanted to give you guys a few little reminders. Number one, if you are not on my newsletter list, if you don't get emails from Allison at youdowoo.com, Definitely sign up because there's a few really fun things coming that will only be available to readers of my newsletter list. So you can go to youdowoo.com slash freebies and sign up there. Even if you already have your human design masterclass and all that kind of stuff, this will get you signed up for the email list and you're definitely going to want to do that ASAP because there's some things starting to come through the pipeline this week that you're going to want to be able to read. And I think I've got all my ducks in a row finally with my email list. (laughs) The rebrand has taken a little bit longer than I thought, especially with us having COVID in November and the holidays and all of that kind of stuff. So finally getting organized and back on track a little bit. I'm still taking a lot of time, as I talked about in my first episode of the new year, a lot of time to just relax and hibernate still and take things really slow. I spent the day yesterday with a friend. We went and got a yummy lunch and got a pedicure. I came home and did a meditation before picking Caroline up, and I'm just trying to still take days and afternoons and hours to have some nourishing time and some self-care time and all of that kind of stuff, because it is winter, and that is what we're supposed to be doing right now. Today's episode is one that I recorded several months ago with my dear friend Alexandra Wyman. She, we've been friends for several years We had babies in the same year. We have a health and wellness business that we do on the side, and that is how I met her. And it's crazy because she was one of the first human beings that I gave a human design chart reading to when I got certified. And it's just so cool watching people light up and be fascinated by their charts and and feel relief and feel excitement and feel seen and known and all that kind of stuff. And 
that was an experience I got to first have with Alexandra. And this episode does come with a trigger warning. It's about suicide. She lost her husband to suicide in August of 2020. And, you know, a lot of us had really hard years in 2020, but Alexandra had a especially hard year. And I spoke to her, I think the day after that happened. We talked a lot about it. I had just previously done a chart reading for her whole family. And there was a lot of different things that came up in that. And then we dug into it after, you know, after she had some time. We talked about this in the episode, but there was several months of just sort of being in zombie mode or fight or flight mode and just being like sort of out of body experience reality. And so once she was able to sort of get a little bit more grounded, we zoomed again and sort of went through some of her husband's chart and her son's chart and hers. And I'm so just incredibly proud of Alexandra. She has really, I mean, when you lose somebody, I don't think that the dealing with the grief ever ends, but she has done an amazing job of being a single mom and navigating through this loss and navigating through the freak show that is life in COVID times also. I hate that she's having to go through this and this pandemic and everything at the same time. But dude, she is a freaking rock star. She's just so strong and it's crazy. You'll hear it in her voice in this. I'm crying. (laughs) I don't think she cried in the episode. It was, you know, it's an amazing episode. Definitely listen in. If you have anybody in your life who has gone through any type of loss in the past few years, you might forward this over to them. Alexandra is an amazing human being, mother, wife, just friend. She is going to be doing big things in this world. And I know she has a lot of things in the works. She's currently writing a book. I am going to have her on the podcast again because there's a lot of other things that she's currently doing that aren't quite out yet, but I didn't want to wait to get this episode out because I know that it will be valuable to so many people. It's just so good. You've just got to listen to it. We really talk about the spiritual side of suicide and some misconceptions around suicide and lots of stuff about spiritual growth and grief and loss. But it has the overall tone of this episode is really actually positive. So don't be afraid of it. But I did want to give a trigger warning just so that you guys know that we talked about that in this episode. I hope that you enjoy. I would love for you to connect with Alexandra if that feels right for you. I have put her contact info in the show notes. And please, if you found value in this episode, take a screenshot, tag us in it, share it, because there might be people in your life or in your network that need a little bit of hope if they've gone through a situation like this or some sort of loss. So enjoy the episode and I will chat with you soon.
I've been really looking forward to this conversation with my friend Alexandra. She and I met through our side business several years ago. I mean, it I don't remember what year it was that we met. So Alexandra lives in Denver, right outside of Denver, and I'm in Dallas, but we have a like annual conference that is always in Vegas every year. And I think the last time I saw you in person was May 2019 at that conference when we were both pregnant. It was like the last week that I was allowed to travel by plane too. (laughs) Yes, because you were three months ahead of me in your pregnancy. And Vegas is not a really fun place to go to when you're pregnant. Not at all. So anyways, I miss seeing you. We need to see each other in person. I know, absolutely. I really appreciate you because I know that you were, when I created my human design business, Align Designs, you were the, one of the first people that reached out and I, you were like one of the first human design readings I gave to you. And I think I did one for you and your son. And I don't know if we looked at your husband's at that point or what. Actually, I think after he passed, we looked at it. Cause I was like, I'm a generator. He's a generator. And now I have a little generator. <laughs> family of generators. Quick question, just in starting out, what has learning about your human design helped you with just everyday life or motherhood or changed you? Just a couple of quick things. It's been huge for just life in general, because then the really tapping into what's a hell yes and a hell no, really tapping into what lights me up. And a lot of that deconditioning, I think working with you has really helped me figure out how to decondition. And I catch myself going, you know, if I start to feel anxiety around something like, oh, I did, I have an eight hour day, but I just worked three hours and I'm done. And I start to get a little anxious about, do I need to keep going or no, I can go do something that lights me up. And that's been huge for me. And just being able to tap into things that really, really um, associate with my human design. So refreshing talking to a fellow generator. (laughs) Just like, oh my gosh, I get you. We're going to go into the hard part of what this episode is about, but I'm really excited for you to be able to share your story and everything that you've gone through. So you lost your husband, Sean, to suicide last summer. Yeah. I would love for you to tell us as much as you want to about that experience leading up to it, the experience itself. I know you were in zombie mode a lot of that time. We chatted a few times. What's happened since? Just to go with us. Tell us your going through that. Sure. So my husband's name is Sean and he died on August 22nd of 2020 and it was by suicide. So sensitivity alert. I won't go into a lot of the details, but he did give me a goodbye text at eight 30 in the morning. And I just knew, I, I just knew that it was going to end this way. He did. Uh, I knew that we had, we had, we did have a handgun in the house and I, I mean, I wasn't at home when he sent that. In fact, he had been with friends the night before. And so when he came home the following morning, I believe he knew I was going to leave the house. And I think he waited actually around the corner for us to leave for my son. Our son was just a little over one at the time. And so I think he waited for us to leave and then came home. And I realized after I left and I got his text that he most likely had gone home to get the handgun. So I then just started reaching out to everybody. It was about six hours of trying to get in touch with him, find him. I didn't hear back from him again. He did leave a suicide note. And then around 2.15 PM, I was with family and and I did have care for my son. Around 2.15 PM that day, I just collapsed. Something happened and I just collapsed 
in my kitchen and I was just this guttural scream. And um, I found out at 6.30 PM that evening that he had died at 2.14 PM. Oh my God. I didn't know about that. Yeah. So it was definitely just knew that he was gone and it was the worst day of my life. Absolutely. Hands down the worst day of my life. And it got complicated because after he died, there was a lot that came out from Sean's family and some of his friends. And there was a lot of blame. There was threat of legal action. There were whispers about custody of my son. There were threats of trying to take me to probate to try and any financial gain that I potentially could have was to go to the family. So it was really complicated. My shock lasted about four months. So it was right before Christmas that my shock kind of lifted, but it was about seven months of kind of getting some threatening notes and working through a lot of that trauma. So it was a complicated situation for sure. And since then, though, I I have to say like so much growth, so much growth that I have a good support system. And immediately I just started tapping into as many resources as I could it took a while. There's a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. I'll say I get asked if I knew and the answer is no. I do belong to a support group for individuals who've lost a loved one to suicide. And everyone says, we didn't see this coming. You don't see it coming. And even when it's right in front of you, it's still really hard, but I'm, I've tapped into as many resources as I can. It's really pushed me in my spirituality It's pushed me as far as my own person. And this is why human design has been really helpful too, is really in a way reinventing myself. There's a lot of, the morning just doesn't happen with the loss of your loved one. The morning happens around the life that we had. We were actually trying for a second kid. In hindsight, I'm very glad that I was not pregnant when he died because that would have been just awful for me. And so it's hard to see kind of those sprinkles of light throughout it or the ways that my son and I were protected, but I do see some of that. And basically my overall idea around this is nothing good comes from Sean dying. It was awful, but there potentially could be some good in the journey that I have from that, like this, like being able to, to be on your podcast, which is pretty awesome, or being able to share my experience to hopefully empower other people or bring some comfort to other people who might go through the same thing. Well, I think that, I mean, I remember talking to you before his death and you were already on a spiritual path. You know, you were already tapping into that, like you were having some up-leveling. I think that Well, A, suicide is like not talked about enough. I know that in the past few years, there's been a little bit more awareness around it and all that kind of stuff. But like when it happens, the families, the partners of most people are going through such grief and are so just freaking knocked over that it takes several years for them to even get to a place to start down that spiritual path. Do you know what I mean? And making sense of it and all of that kind of stuff. And you were already sort of there. Yes, you got, it got paused for a while because of trauma and you going through the grief process and all of that, which is still happening, I'm sure. But your story needs to be told. Your voice needs to be heard because you have a slightly different take on it and are already a little bit of a head, I think, than most people would be a year out. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, thank you for that. I mean, I've, I've worked really hard on that and yes, it's, it's such a journey and grief is awful. It's not linear. These stages they talk about it's, I call those just emotions we feel and they're 
all over and some weeks are great. Even some minutes are great and then some aren't. And I appreciate that because I do, I have had to really dig deep for that because I do think that in the end, it was not my marriage that killed him. It was a culmination of factors. And I'll get into that in a sec because I do want to talk about that. But part of it for me is that if Sean staying here physically with me meant that he had to continue to deal with his, and I call them demons, and to deal with a lot of his own trauma, then I wouldn't want him to be here. Like his soul is in such a better place. And he, I like to think that he can now continue his purpose and shine his light through me, through our son and through other people and give us, he pings me all the time. And I'm like, (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) And now through me, I can hopefully help other people navigate this kind of tragedy, which is really awful. So yeah. Tell us about whatever you want to talk about it, either like the pings, I want to hear about those or about when you were talking about what you have made sense of what might have led to this way of ending his life. The thing is with suicide is there's so you're right. There's so much like shame and weirdness and whatever. And I'm like, it is the same as if somebody died of COVID or cancer or yeah. whatever. like it's yeah, so you know, much, right? Yes. That's a big thing. Cause I feel like the way I visualize it is like, here's death over here to the side. And we have so much compassion for people who die in all these different ways. And then on the other side, you know, over here is a small little circle of suicide. It's like our compassion isn't there. Yeah. And I'm like, it's, it's death. It's, it's just a different style of death. So Sean, Sean had a, a pretty strong history of a lot of trauma. He had abandonment, rejection. He did experience every pretty much every single type of abuse mm-hmm. and he didn't have a whole lot of that structure. And, and sometimes I, it, it is certainly not watered down to this, but sometimes I'm like, he just needed a hug from the people who yeah. met close to him when he was young and he just didn't get that. And I just carried with him. He, he was a cancer. He mm-hmm. is totally an empath. He was totally an empath, which is what I see in, in our son. Now our, our son is like a complete mini me of Sean which is awesome. Cause I love being able to see little bits of Sean every day. And so he internalized everything that he experienced and took it on as his fault. And by the time that we got married a little bit later, I think that kind of the damage had already been done. It was hard for him to hear how good he was or what I thought of him. Don't get me wrong. Our marriage was not perfect. No marriage is, but I think all of this kind of caught up to him and it just compounded. And I don't think he fully planned it out. I think it was a morning of just so much going on and feeling, I think everything just came down to, to that one day. And that was how he was able to end his pain. He was in a lot of pain. And I think that would just like you're saying in other ways that people want their physical pain to end or other types of pain to end. This is how he wanted, wanted his pain to end. And I think too, the choices for him, I mean, often I'm asked, was he depressed or how long was he depressed or did I know, or was he on antidepressants? And again, I don't think that suicide is a product of mental illness. I actually think it's the product of multiple factors. I call it harmonious wellness or harmonious health, because I think there are six, six factors that contribute to balanced health. And that would be physical, nutritional, emotional, mental, spiritual, and the cellular piece. And you and I have talked about this before with the cellular piece of what we take on in that zero to 14 stage of our life. 
And so if any, and usually I think of it like a flower and there are six petals. And if any one of those petals is, is kind of wilted, it impacts the rest of the flower. No one is ever at hundred percent, but for Sean, from an early age, he was told he wasn't going to be anything. He internalized that he wasn't going to be anything. I know we talked about swearing. He was basically internalized that he was a piece of shit. Never amount to anything. He was broken. And this was perpetuated. And in fact, someone came to, we've had a couple memorials, but the one that was in Colorado, someone jokingly came to me at his memorial to tell me that at one point he and Sean were hanging out and I had gone to bed and they were hanging out on our deck drinking beer. And this guy ended up being a family member, but was perpetuating that for Sean, how broken they were and how there was nothing that they could do to help that. There was no way to fix them. So when you talk about things like therapy or antidepressants or all these resources that we try and access to help through some of that, he didn't feel like any of that would work. So why would he access any of it? And so, and I don't know if you've heard one of a great book is called the body keeps a score. Have you heard of this? I have my sister who's a child therapist told Ah. me to to read it ASAP. So I'm going to. Yes. And I actually did a training with the author, Bessel Vanderkolk. And I asked him this question. I said, if someone internalizes that they feel broken, how do you help them access these choices? And he was basically saying that if you, Sean, essentially my understanding, and this is my speculation, but John lived in fight or flight in that survival mode for pretty much his whole life. And Mm. so when you're living in that state, something like yoga would help his body kind of calm down and get out of that fight or flight so that his brain could actually reset to see that there were different choices. And so I just think that when it came, when it really came down to it, Sean didn't see that there were a lot of choices available to him, but this was a way that he could quiet the noise. You and I haven't talked about this, but this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Having a child always takes you back to your childhood. Absolutely. Oh, so it's like y'all went through a year of having a child and probably it was subconsciously just bringing back all of those things for him. Not that it's Eli's fault. That's just what happens when you have a child. Like I'm projecting on Caroline and she's projecting back and I'm like going back to when I was her age and all that stuff. So that was like subconsciously happening and so hard for him. Absolutely. I mean, he had, he was such a great dad and couldn't see it. And so he, he also had fears about repeating history. He would disclose that he was afraid of being like his own dad. And I want to make it really clear. I do not blame Sean's family for his death either. I don't, I don't think there's a place for blame when it comes to suicide. I think these are just contributing factors. And he did, there were some rough parts in his childhood and he was afraid that he was going to go down that road with our own son. And it was, it was so stressful. And, and I think you and I have talked about this too, us as moms, It took about, it was probably a good up to a month before Sean died, before I started to feel like I was myself again. And that was really hard on him too. Cause he was like, you're not, you're not being you. Where's the woman I married? And I was like, I know she's here somewhere. Just bear with me. I'll get her back. Yeah. That was really hard. So it's just a lot of stress that just fell and he just couldn't, couldn't get out from under it. What? Do you think are, I mean, none of us really knows. I feel like intuitively that past lives is a thing. And like, you know, we all have different reasons for 
what we're going through in this life and how long it is and all of that kind of stuff and how it affects other people that we're involved with. What is your take on the spiritual reason for suicide? Oh, that's a good question. I honestly have been questioned my spirituality of looking at it in the sense of, so I do come from a Christian background and often it said, you know, you wait for God to take you. Right. And, and I'm like, well, what if this was God's way of taking Sean at that point in time? And um, so I have, I'll say like, I've consulted mediums before, which has been very helpful for me to kind of be on this spiritual journey. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's okay. So I think there's just so much that goes into it for me. And so part of it is like, I think for his purpose, for what he could achieve here with what he had going on, he fulfilled it. Yep. And he now has, his soul has been able to do its healing. And I mean, it's amazing. I'll say like, I, when I talk about pings, one of the pings that I got so clearly one day was that nothing else really matters except for love, compassion, and forgiveness. Yes. So caught up in all of this trivial day-to-day stuff. But in the end, he's like, none of that matters. And it was so amazing. And I was like, whoa, I don't know that I would come up with this on my own. And just the beauty that we have access to and what is is coming. And so I think that that's, again, I, I think that that is maybe where it is, is that he almost like in his own way, up-leveling, like he couldn't up-level here, but now his soul can up-level where it is. And then just use me as kind of that conduit. And I think I've told you, like, I'm writing a book about all of this, which is really Mm -hmm. exciting. Like it's a book I'm writing because I wish something like this existed when I first went through this. So it has a little bit of all of this, like, here's the, the additional trauma I went through. Here's some of the business you have to take care of when you're dealing with an estate. And also here's how I worked through some of those endless questions and that spirituality and, and the now what, like, now what do I do? (laughs) I know that you and I have both read the book spirit babies too. And it's interesting because Eli, your son was definitely meant like he was hanging out with y'all before he even existed and was meant to come. And all of these things were sort, you know, the timelines, end up working out exactly perfectly so that each of our individual souls are able to learn and grow with what they need to do. I have just so y'all listeners know, I had a whole list of questions for Alexandra (laughs) and I'm like sort of going off the cusp and just asking other questions. So what are your plans in talking to Eli about this and, or what have you talked to him about so far? Eli's a little over two. He's like almost two and a half. Yeah. So one of the first things that I actually saw in a movie that I started doing with him was every night I give him a kiss from me and a kiss from Sean. And I tell him your daddy's in heaven and he's watching over you to try and like normalize that for him. He has seen Sean. He plays with him. He'll like look over to where no one is and he'll just say, Hey daddy. And I can go weeks without really pointing out a picture. We do have pictures of Sean up in our house. And then I'll point to one and say, who's that? And every time without skipping a beat, he's like, oh, that's daddy. So yeah, when I think about the spirit baby stuff, I actually had a friend who was talking to me because my whole thing has been, oh, I was meant to meet Sean. And a lot of my morning has been over the ending of that relationship. And I had a good friend who she was like, what if your purpose in meeting Sean was to have Eli? 
And I was like, whoa, (laughs) it kind of hit me between the eyes. And she was like, there's some purpose that Eli has not just in being him, but there's some reason that he had to be here at this time at this place. And this is how it was meant to be. That was really comforting and also eye-opening for me. I'm pretty open as far as finding the ways to help Eli heal from this. You know, he's going to have questions right now. He's awesome. There's nothing that's come up in regards to that. But when he, I have no problem sending him to a medium and say like, go do this or read some books like spirit babies, or, you know, let's have open conversations about it to encourage that kind of spirituality. Cause I just think there's so much we don't know. And so to try and limit ourselves or to try and put things in box as far as souls and spirituality and what happens, I just don't think that's fair because it, there's so much available to us that if we're open to it, I think it, it just helps us in general in our growth and who we are. It's so weird too, because I feel like a lot of times women are more the ones who get into this spirituality side. Kids are this way because they're just, they're much more still in the spiritual world because it's only been two years since Eli was in the spiritual world, you know, like not a physical body, but just a soul. So I think that it grows out of them or we condition it out of them to be like, oh, you're making this up, da da da, like all of that ridiculous stuff. And so it's awesome that he has you for a mom to make sure that you don't condition that out of him. And also just as a boy, like to encourage him to look at the spiritual side of everything. Cause I know my husband is like slowly opening up to talking about spirituality and stuff, but he lost his dad when he was a young adult. And every once in a while, I'm like, Hey, can you like talk to your dad and ask him to help us out in X, Y, Z way, <laughs> you know? And he's like, awesome. maybe. And I'm like, come on, just sit and talk. To-. He does that sometimes where he'll go sit in the backyard and, you know, have a conversation with his dad. And I'm like, well, you awesome. to do this or whatever, but men are sometimes boys and men are sometimes more uncomfortable with that than females are. I feel like, I don't know. I've always been woo woo and into spirituality and talking to God and all that kind of stuff. But Eli's just very lucky to have you to help him embrace and not lose that side of him, you know? Well, thank you. You know, he's already kind of an intuitive. And so not in the sense that he's telling me anything, you know, out there out of the ordinary, but I can tell the way he reacts around people, especially strangers or people that he's just meeting. I can kind of tell there are some people that he'll just walk up to right away. And I don't, I don't force him to hug people. I don't make him have to do that. There are some people though, he'll just walk up and take their hand and guide them to play. And then other people he's like, "Mm -mm, nope, not doing it. And so I just want to nurture that for him and let him kind of grow into his own. And I heard a, a few months back about someone who was talking about us as parents being more of a guide don't get me wrong. There's safety issues. There's all sorts of things we have to do for our children, but he's his own little being. And so I have to remind myself that how well he does is not on me. I mean, it is on me. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, I'm not going to take credit for how well he's doing because that's just him coming into his own. Mm -hmm. And I get to kind of guide him along the way and set some rules and some standards. There are some, like my whole thing is Jonah, you can say, no, you just don't have to be mean about it. You know? Mm -hmm like have some manners (laughs) kind of thing. So I learned a lot from him in that too. And early on, I told him, I was, I was like, we got to be a team here. So I don't want him to feel 
any of the stressors that I may have as being a single mom are on him, but we've got to navigate kind of our relationship together. Yeah. I remember too, this just came to me when you said that he was an intuitive. I remember we looked at Eli's and Sean's charts, their human design charts and Sean's solar plexus, which is your emotional chakra Uh center, was totally open, no gates. That's (laughs) extreme empath and extreme intuitive, like so very much. So even just the freaking beginning of the pandemic, people like that are so affected by the energy of the collective being all over the place that it's, it's not doable for them. Like it's just really really hard, especially if they don't know that they're so affected. They're like a sponge and so affected by other people's emotions. And Eli, we talked about this because Eli's totally open except for one gate. So I know we talked about you teaching him about how to, you know, be able to know that all these feelings aren't always his feelings and he can release those and that he's just going to soak up other people's feelings and emotions a lot. And as he gets older, you're going to be able to show him, like give him the tools to do that, which will be so, make his life so much easier. So much yeah, easier. I hope so. I mean, I remember too, when you were doing the reading, you were talking about kind of that guttural scream or that release like from his gut and letting him really, because I think he's sacral like mm-hmm. I am. And there are times and I can tell the difference between those screams and I'll yeah. tell it, I'm trying, you know, I-, I always try and channel you like, remember what Allison said? <laughs> Cause I'll just be like, let it go, mm-hmm, let yeah. it go. And really trying to work on like, he's getting really good at identifying emotions, which is really cool. We have a couple different books for that, Yeah, but yeah, that's one of my biggest concerns is how to let him release them too and say, Oh, we felt it. It's better. Or We'll do that at the playground. We don't go to a lot of playgrounds right now, but when we were going to more playgrounds, if he saw their kids crying, you know, he would get upset and I would say, let's go check on them and then try and say, see, they have this person or this person helping them and they're going to feel better to try and help him understand he doesn't have to own that. Yeah, It's a process for sure. It's a process having toddlers and doing this. I think it'll be a little easier for both of us in a year or two when you can actually have a full-fledged conversation and they understand everything you're saying. Um, But yeah. Yeah. It's fun to see him grow and grow into his person. And I learn a lot from him. It's cool too. Like I said, he's, he's very much a miniature Sean and he's kind of my barometer. Cause I'm like, if people look at you and, and hang out with you and can't tell that we've had this major trauma and and I don't bypass it. You yeah. know, I let him know about my emotions and, and he's seen me emote and going through this process. And I still tap in, like I have multiple therapists and groups and all sorts of resources to help me, but it is, he's kind of my barometer on how are we doing as this new family unit? That was going to be my next question is what tools or what avenues of support have you found like in the past year that have really, really helped you out? Yeah, I have a lot. (laughs) Um, I journal a lot. That's probably one of my main things that I can do on a daily basis in between my appointments with my therapists. And I say therapists, not like I, they all have different types of therapy. So when I do talk therapy, just for general boundary setting and looking at, I had to set a lot of boundaries. Uh, There's quite a few people that aren't permitted anymore to, to really have a relationship with Eli or me. And so I had to go through setting some of those boundaries. 
I have a thought field therapist and he does, it's very much mind body connection. He's amazing. And it's very similar to EMDR of really just trying to reset your brain and your body. And he helped a lot with decreasing my traumatic response. He very much from the beginning was like, I'm not taking away your grief. You have to go on this journey of grief. But what his work helps do is desensitize my emotional and visceral reaction to the trauma so that I can access actually grieving. I have screamed. I do some scream therapy. I have cried my eyes out. And every time I think that I'm done crying, I cry more. I've done some exercise. Exercise is probably the one that comes and goes for me right now. I used to be a runner and I hope one day to get back to that. But often the time that I can do any of my self cares after I put Eli down for bed, sometimes I'm just so exhausted. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I get on the treadmill right now. I listened to a podcast the other day. I think it was Clinton Doyle and she was talking about quitting. And she was like, I quit every day at 5 p.m. Like I quit. I don't do anything. And I'm like, oh, well, I quit at 8 p.m. When the line goes down, I don't do anything. I know that a lot of people, a lot of moms and entrepreneurs are like, that's when I get all my work done is from eight to midnight. And I'm like, um, F no, I don't do anything after eight o'clock. There's some days where I put him down and then I go down. So exercise is actually really good. So I'll go for walks. Like the weather has been nice. So I'll, I'll go for walks and that's been really helpful. And then it's hard, you know, this process is hard because it can feel very isolating in that not everyone understands suicide or grief. And I've had a lot of people who've come to me and said, you know, I had to push my grief away to be a support for you. And I'm like, don't do that. I'll figure this out. I appreciate that you want to be there for me but everyone needs to work through their grief. Everyone needs to go through their journey. And I think that was the other thing with this group of people who were seeking ways to let me know how upset they were with me. I don't even know how to describe it. But I was like, if you need to blame me, fine, but you don't need my validation of that. You don't need me to go, oh yeah, right. It was me. If I've learned anything in the past couple years, it's that almost everything is projection. (laughs) Like oh my gosh, projecting on you, you know, and that's not to say they're bad people. You do it. I do it. Everybody does it, but they're just, especially with blame, they're like really afraid to feel any of the blame or guilt that they currently have. And so it's way easier to just project it onto you. So absolutely. I agree, which sometimes throws me off because I, yeah. I want to take responsibility for what my part is in things. And then sometimes I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's 99% you and your projection. (laughs) You you have to be careful about it just because sometimes I can be very open about details in regards to Sean's death and, and not everyone is ready for that or available to hear that. And so just finding the right people, because again, people who are impacted by suicide directly do have a higher chance of suiciding themselves. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of those things where part of my message is there are choices, seek help. And Mm -hmm. also like going back to that zero to 14 of let's try and find resources for people to really be able like to be magnetic, you know, as another, another resource to really go into those areas to realize like you're not broken something. You're not defective. There are choices out there. Let's find the right choice for you. And you were part of, were or are part of a support group? Yes. Okay. Is that something that has been super helpful also? 
there are a couple of things that came up. So it is a specific suicide support group. Then I also was put in touch very randomly, I would say other women who lost their spouses to suicide. And then I kind of tried to create a little group with them as well, because being a single mom and losing your spouse is different than losing another family member. So working through that with them has been really helpful and also seeing where they are in their stages. Like one just got remarried, which is amazing. So expansive for me. I'm not near that, but I I go back and forth and you go through all of these emotions. I'm not dishonoring him. If I think about a future with someone else and those types of things and just seeing, and then other people are, might be struggling a little bit more in that period and seeing, okay, this is a process. And just a quick side note, I did read something where the grief for this will never end. It just changes. And that's something I think as an area, I'm an Aries. So I was like, okay, let's do this. Like Let's get through all this stuff to just get through this grief. And then, you know, I had to kind of accept that's part of what I would consider part of the acceptance of like, this is going to be part of my journey for the rest of my life. It's just going to look different. I don't think any grief, there's a closure to any grief. I don't know. For me, I've, I'm almost at a year of no alcohol and that was for you. Yeah. It's been a year, but I mean, it's been really great in some ways, but, and then there's been so much uncovered as far as grief that I've had from age, you know, five to 35, 37, that I was just always suppressing. And I didn't drink like a ridiculous amount all the time, but you, every time you feel uncomfortable, it's like, oh, I'll just go have a glass of wine. Cause I don't want to feel sad. You know? Yes. So I did that over two decades and then all of the sudden, all of these things came up and I, even just yesterday was thinking about like one situation where it was a loss of someone where I was like, this is just going to be here the rest of my life, like this grief. And it'll change faces and all of that stuff, but I have to be okay with it just always being there. Yeah. It's the surrender. And I, I talk about this, like, I don't want to feel this sad. I can't like it. It pains me so much more if I am thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be sad like this forever. There are going to be times and there are anniversary reactions, there are grief bursts, and I still get them, even though it's been over a year and I still will get them. But I think part of that is also the surrender of, okay, this is part of it, but it doesn't have to define me either. It's something I can recognize and allow myself to work through and then keep going, you know, and I don't say we move on. I say we move forward. I'll never move on from Sean, but I'm just going to move forward. And he is just, our relationship is just different. He's just with me in a different way, not necessarily the way that I want, but he's still here with me in just a different way. And I think alongside the grief, you also have, I'm sure any person who's lost their spouse to suicide or just lost their spouse period has some shame and guilt feelings with moving on when you feel like that's ready for you, which you're like, okay, what do other people think of me? You know, what's Sean going to see? What's best for me? Should I just like live in isolation for the rest of my, you know, like all of that stuff around that. There's just a lot of stuff to deal with. There is. And sometimes, so for my friend who got married, you know, she, she felt she had done a lot of healing and a lot of growth. And then it became a little bit more complicated because not only did this amazing person come into her life and then, so you have a little bit of that guilt around moving on, right? But you're not really moving on, but moving forward from your loved one. 
And then also it had been her and her daughter for a while. And now all of a sudden that dynamic was changing. And so she had to go through that. And luckily the person that she's with now helps her through that. And I, you know, I had someone very early on, there are so many things that were said that I would consider to put in the inappropriate box. But one of them was at a celebration of life for Sean, I had someone come up to me and go, well, don't worry. You'll find someone else really soon. Like, what, what are you saying to me? And at the flip side, you know, I, the people pleaser in me is definitely like, oh, but if I did find someone else, what kind of backlash would I get from that? And at the same time, I, you know, I would have to do what's right for me and not listen to what other people, because again, that's just them projecting their ideas of where I, where I should be or what I should be doing. You know, the shoulding don't should me. Yeah. Right. I'm so excited about your book. Do you have, not that you have to, but do you, is it going to be in the next year or two years or what does that look like? Yeah. I am hoping that within the next year, I'm really close to finishing the manuscript for it. I even say, I don't even know really about book publishing. So um, I'm hoping that once I have, I'm really close to finishing the full complete rough draft. And then I'm hoping to see if I can get hooked up with some sort of copy editor. I know sometimes publishing houses do it, but anyway, so my goal is I could get into all of that, but my goal is that within the next year that I'll be able to publish it in one way or another. And I'm really excited for that. That's going to be amazing. I feel like your view on this subject is so multifaceted. You know what I mean? A lot of times people who have lost their partner from suicide get on like one train and they just like you know, are like, this is what this meant and da 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 and all this stuff. Just the same way I'm like involved in like the sober curious movement. I don't know what I'm doing beyond one year, but like so many people who've gotten sober are like, oh my God, if you drink, you're a terrible person. You know, like all of this kind of stuff where it's like you get on this one track mind. And I feel like you're, I don't feel like anybody else is talking about this in the way that you do with like the multifaceted aspects of it and that there's so many things involved and the spiritual side of it and all of that. So I, I can't wait to read the book. Thank you. Well, I, again, I think it's just a disservice. It would be a disservice to Sean, I think, to keep it one tracked. You know, I think that there, it is complicated. And also I think if I start answering all these why questions and all this, then it just takes away that choice from him and and his own free will. And I don't agree with his decision at all, but I'm hoping that, you know, there are people I've met who've had less dramatic responses and aftermaths to suicide. And there are people who've actually had more than me. And so I think just being able to provide the opportunity of like, this is ridiculous and you're going to get through it. In fact, I know might be getting up on time, but I did. So one of the deputies who actually came and informed me that Sean had died, she looked at me. I mean, this is literally like hours after he's died. And she looked me straight in the face and she goes, I just want you to know that eight months ago, I lost my husband to suicide and you're not going to believe this right now, but I'm going to tell you right now that you are going to get through this and you will get through it. And that stuck with me. And I've been in touch with her since she gave me her card and she was just like, you call me anytime. And it was just so amazing. And that's the same thing I hope to empower people to start having conversations around suicide. It's not a shameful thing. And to also empower people of you can get through this. It's probably the hardest thing you'll ever go through, but you can get through it. 
Well, thank you so much. I know this was not the easiest thing to chat about, but you're awesome at chatting about all of the ins and outs of it. And I know that we were in a lot more contact, you know, a year ago and stuff and just having two-year-olds and life gets in the way. And so I want to keep staying in touch with you. Honored that you thought of me for this. This has been an amazing experience and I'm just so grateful that I know you and get to get to be a part of this. I feel the same way. Thank you for being an expander to so many people. I think hearing your story is going to be really, really helpful for so many people. And I can't wait to read your book. Keep me updated on that and I'll spread the word. We'll get it on the bestseller list. Yes, let's do it. (laughs) Awesome, Alexandra. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so very much for tuning in to another episode of You Do Woo. I know that you already have a very full life and that there are literally millions of podcasts that you could be listening to. So I'm super grateful to you for being a loyal listener. And I'm so grateful for you sharing your favorite episodes with friends and family members. That is how we are able to serve more people and raise the collective consciousness and really get the word out on a bunch of these fun spiritual topics that we're talking about. I would love to connect with you. Send me a DM on Instagram at you do woo, all one word. I'd love to hear how you loved today's episode and just a little bit about you. I can't wait to connect. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.